It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Some people today object to the deity of Christ in direct opposition to the repeated New Testament assertions of his deity and to Jesus' own personal claims. The question we consider today is, how do Christians respond to those who deny Jesus' deity? Some people say Jesus never explicitly states that he is God. Muslims often verbalize this objection. They are taught to insist on the exact words criteria. But you can reverse their objection by saying Jesus never explicitly said he was only a prophet, either. So their exact words criteria is not fulfilled for what they believe about Jesus. This objection is refuted by the four categories I have listed in prior episodes, referring to his divine credentials, his divine titles, his divine prerogatives, and his divine attributes. What more can Jesus do or say to make his deity any clearer? The Abionites and Arians at the time of the early church denied Jesus' deity. In our time, the Muslims, Jehovah's Witnesses, Unitarians, participants of the Jesus Seminar, and Christian liberals all deny the deity of Jesus Christ. To them, he is only a man, perhaps a good, holy, exemplary, extraordinary man, but still just a man and nothing more. Reinhold Niebuhr, formerly an American Reformed theologian, and professor at Union Theological Seminary, criticized Christian liberalism by mocking what they teach about Christianity. He said, A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. The Jesus Seminar is a group of liberal religious skeptics who question almost anything Christianity affirms. In particular, they deny that the Holy Spirit is the author of all Scripture, and thus they think the inspiration, authority, and inerrancy of the Bible is erroneous. They also deny the authenticity of miracles, the deity of Christ, and his substitutionary atonement death. They say... God is dead. It is no longer credible to think of Jesus as divine. Jesus did not rise from the dead. And the New Testament is highly biased attempt 
to invent Christianity. There is no real historical evidence for the Jesus of traditional Christian beliefs. Their agenda is not to discover who the real historical Jesus of Nazareth was. Rather, their purpose is to attack what the Bible clearly says about him and what he taught, because that is a threat to their own bias. In other words, if you are a Christian and believe that Jesus is divine, that he said the things recorded in the Gospels, that he died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the dead, then the Jesus Seminar is saying that your faith is not credible and you have no historical evidence to back up your beliefs. But contrary to that claim, Gary Habermas, a religion professor with two earned doctorates and over 100 scholarly articles on the life of Jesus, says, The Jesus Seminar people are not mainstream, and they do not speak for even most moderate scholars. And we do link ourselves to what history says. The Jesus Seminar discounts the credibility of the four biblical Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and gives greater credibility to the Gospel of Thomas, though it is not part of the canon of Scripture. They claim to seek to determine what Jesus really said. But in my mind, this situation is absolutely ludicrous a blatant exhibition of colossal arrogance. How can a group of so-called scholars of the present day accurately determine what Jesus did or did not say better than the authors of the four biblical gospels who wrote at the time in which Jesus lived and reported what eyewitnesses said? Matthew and John were disciples of Jesus. Mark reported the recollections of Simon Peter, also a disciple of Jesus, and Luke interviewed eyewitnesses. Unfortunately, the Jesus Seminar participants are the people the media commonly interview because the liberal media and the Jesus Seminar have the common goal of discounting everything about Christianity. Other skeptics say that passages in the New Testament uses words and phrases that basically deny Jesus' deity. Let me list some of their common objections. Skeptics claim Jesus was born so he could not be God. There are three biblical phrases skeptics use to substantiate their denial of Jesus' deity. The phrase only begotten, the firstborn, and the beginning. Some objectors to the deity of Christ depend heavily on texts that refer to Jesus as the only begotten Son of God. The phrase only begotten translates the Greek word monogenes. That Greek word is used in the New Testament many times, in particular five times in the writings of the Apostle John in familiar passages referring to Christ as the only begotten Son of God. 
Begotten, the future tense of beget, means to produce offspring by physical reproduction. So skeptics interpret that begotten means that Jesus was born and thus had a beginning. Consequently, he can't be eternal and therefore can't be God. Begotten does imply that, but that is not the complete story. In the first episode of Defending and Commending the Faith, I said, we are all limited by what we do not know and the things we think we know but are not true. Indeed, Doug Alpel repeats that statement in the introduction to this program each week. The only begotten, as a translation of the Greek word monogenes, is something we think we know, but in fact is actually a mistranslation of that Greek word. For many years, translators of the Greek New Testament assumed monogenes was derived from the combination of two Greek terms, mono, meaning only or solely, and genao, meaning to beget, bear offspring, to bring forth into existence, give birth to, and by implication to be a parent to a child. Thus, under that assumption, monogenes is translated only begotten. But linguistic studies in the 20th century has shown that the second half of the word instead of being derived from ganao, is actually derived from genos, which means class or kind. Thus, word monogenes, son, means one of a kind or unique son. In spite of misunderstanding of the term monogenes, the early church was convinced that Christ was fully divine and the church concluded that whatever only begotten meant, it did not mean created. Therefore, the Nicene Creed in 325 AD affirmed that Christ was begotten, but not made. The New American Standard Bible gives in the margin for only begotten in John 1 verse 14, 318, and 1 John 4 verse 9, the unique and only one of its kind. In Hebrews eleven seventeen, for example, we recognize that the word monogenes cannot mean the only offspring of Abraham, because in fact, we know Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. But instead, it tells us Isaac is the one of a kind or unique son of Abraham through whom the Abrahamic covenant would continue. In the verses where monogenes refers to Jesus Christ, rather than saying Jesus Christ is an offspring of the Father God, begotten by him, brought into existence by him, and in some way a descendant of the Father, it affirms Christ's unique status as part of the Trinity, and focuses on his being the single one who is most capable of explaining the Father in John 1, verse 18, and the best revelation from God to humanity of whom God really is. Jesus said on multiple occasions, words to the effect, you don't know God unless you know who the Son is. 
In addition, monogenes refers to the unique way God is using Jesus Christ in the offer of redemption to mankind. His incarnation gives us a living portrait of what God is like. In Hebrews 8, Jesus Christ inaugurates and is the mediator of the new covenant, which is superior to the old obsolescent covenant. In chapter 8, verse 9, the author identifies the Mosaic covenant as the old covenant. Chapter 8, verse 11, identifies Jesus Christ as the high priest in the heavenly tabernacle. Chapter 10, verses 11 through 14, stresses that every human priest stands daily making the required sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Jesus, however, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. The finality of Jesus' sacrifice is observed by his seated posture. Zechariah chapter 6, verses 11 through 13 speaks of a high priest who sits and rules on his throne. The word firstborn is another word that easily can be misunderstood. The Greek word is prototokos. It occurs seven times in the New Testament, two of which refer to Jesus as being the first child of Mary. In his topical commentary and his expository dictionary, W.E. Vines explores the meaning of the other five passages relating to Christ where prototokos is used. The point is the term firstborn is not in the sense of being the first child in a family. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 calls Christ the firstborn of all creation. Vines says that the construction is not subjective but plainly objective, signifying that he was the producer of creation, not the product of creation. Thus creation owes its existence to him and is maintained under his power. Therefore we can see Prototokos is expressing his existence prior to and preeminence over creation. Thus, prototokos can mean priority in rank, not priority in time. In Hebrews 1 verse 4, the Passion Bible states Jesus inherited a rank and a name far greater than the angels. Clearly in Colossians 1 verses 15 to 18, priority in rank is what is meant. What that means is that Jesus is first over creation, not first in creation. So in particular, it does not mean that Jesus was created. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app. 
Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.